You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Uh, it's grateful. I'm so grateful to be with you this morning and uh, so thankful to Greg and John and for the leadership committee of the GCC to allow me to come and be here. I began my journey here at Asbury 40 years ago. And uh, much like you, I sat in these chapels and heard uh, thousands probably of messages through my four years or hundreds of, of messages. And the interesting thing is that as I think back on those years 40 years ago, I don't really remember a lot of the messages. So I, I don't have any aspiration that this is going to be the most profound message that you're ever going to hear. You can say amen to that. Um, but what I do know is that God's Word is alive and that it's sharper than any two-edged sword dividing asunder to the joints and marrow to the very discerning of our thoughts. And as we look at this week about walking in love, about what it means to love our neighbor, I believe God wants to minister to you in, in fresh ways. I believe He has a word for you this week. Um, and for me, this was my journey into missions. I had never been exposed to missions. I grew up in Marietta, Georgia, went to church all my life, but never really was uh, interested or even knew anything about missions. And my hope and prayer for each one of you this week is that God would prick your heart, that He would touch you to a way that you would maybe begin to open up to say, maybe God, you want to do something in me to change the world. Um, one of the things that I want to encourage you with, uh, Greg asked me if there was a special need that we have, and I wanted to give that uh, to you all as an opportunity. Uh, we lived in Ghana for 10 and a half years, and there was a widow lady named Comfort Baposan that worked in our home, and after we left Ghana, she used her savings, bought a tract of land, and she has built her home out of her own resources, and we've helped her occasionally, and I wanted to encourage you all to help us put a roof on Comfort's home. So I just want to show you real quickly uh, just a quick picture of her home. This is in Ghana, West Africa, right outside of Accra in a rural area, and um, she, out of her own resources, has done a tremendous job. And so if you would like to give, here's the place that you can give at Asbury WGM or uh, that Asbury WGM. Um, you know, when I think back on uh, my time at Asbury and, and the times that I sat in this chapel and the messages that I heard, those were not the things that I remember, but the things that I remember were the professors that I engaged in. Um, some of you, probably all of you don't remember the professors that I had, but Al and Yvonne Moulton and Victor Hamilton and Winston Smith and um, just so many of those professors were more than just professors for me. They were people that invested in my life and cared about me, and I pray that the same is true today, that the professors that you have here at Asbury are truly engaged in your lives, and that's one of the, the distinctives of Asbury, and I thank God for Asbury and for what it means for us. I'd like for us to bow for a word of prayer as we begin. Pray with me now. God in heaven, I thank you for every man and woman in this room. I thank you for their lives, and I pray that you would truly speak to us in these next few moments. 
God, I thank you for the calling that you've placed on each of our lives to be faithful to you, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, that you would convict us, that you would bring your presence into our very being, that we would be transformed from the inside out. We thank you for all these things in Christ's name. Amen. It's interesting to me that throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, nowhere is the word missions mentioned in the Bible. This word missiological or whatever, and yet there's theological frameworks around missions, and yet it's nowhere mentioned in the Bible. And yet it's like a thread that runs from Genesis to Revelation of God calling His humanity into relationship with Him so that the world can be changed. And I think of some of the most famous passages, Isaiah 6 would be one of those. Some of you may know that one that says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. And it talked about seraphim, these six winged angels, with two they covered their face, with two they were flying, with two they covered their feet. And they were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then Isaiah kind of has a a conviction. The, the, The temple begins to shake and he cries out, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And one of the seraphim comes and touches his lips and says to Isaiah, see your guilt is taken away and your sins atoned for. And then Isaiah hears God say, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. One of the most famous passages of missiological scripture. And then the second one is Matthew 28, of course, 16 through 20. We're gonna look at that uh, in just a minute, but that's basically Jesus' call to the Great Commission. And when he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit. And the last one that is one of the, probably the penultimate Uh, Scripture is Acts 1-8 that says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. There's so many passages throughout the Bible of God calling us into relationship with Him. And as as we look today and for the rest of this week, I want to encourage you to just be open to the Lord, that He would speak to you in specific ways. Tonight, you're not required to come, but I want to encourage you to come tonight at 7. I'm going to share my testimony, and um, I'm going to share my call into missions. Um, Much of my story centers around what happened at Asbury. I lost my mom to suicide when I was a freshman at Asbury. My father was an alcoholic. I grew up in a raging dysfunctional family. And yet, in the midst of that, God called me into full-time service. I don't know where you are. I don't know what you struggle with, but I want to be available to you as a person this week, not as a speaker, but just as a person that maybe you want to talk to about anything regarding your life. I've talked to Greg about that, and I just want to be made available to you all. If you're struggling in any area, you just want to vent or you want to talk, I want to be that person for you. So I just want to encourage you to do that, and I want to encourage you to come tonight. All right? You guys good? Y'all understanding my Georgian accent okay? If you have your Bibles, turn with me. I brought, I brought an antique. Do you guys remember what this is? 
It's an old paper Bible. But I want you to look at, let's look at Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 16. It says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You know, the focus of scripture that we're looking at this week really centers around Ephesians 2, and I love that it was read in French, Spanish, and English. It says, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. When we look at this passage, um, to live a life of love, one of the focuses this week is that we want to talk about loving our neighbor. And especially in this pandemic situation, we're in this isolated, segmented, separated place. How do we love our neighbor? How do we love, reach out to other people? How do we reach out to people not only in our dorm, in the cafeteria, wherever we go, but across the world? What's God calling us to? And I believe this passage is one of my favorites in the Bible, this, this great commission, that Jesus when, when he poured his life into the disciples, he spent three years pouring into the disciples' lives. There were 12 men and a handful of women that he poured into. Mary Magdalene was probably one of his favorite disciples, even though she's not even credited due to the cultural realm of being a disciple, but she was probably the most intimate disciple that Jesus poured into. She was the first one who saw and touched and talked to Jesus when he rose again. And she was one of the first that, that he poured his life into to deliver her from demonic oppression. And as Jesus is talking to his disciples after he's died on the cross and he's risen again, and, and the disciples were in Jerusalem and he tells them, go home to Galilee, go back to where we come from. And he said, I want to share something with you. So as he meets with those disciples in Galilee, he says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. What does it mean when Jesus says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me? That means that he has the power in every realm of this world. And when he says therefore, I believe he's saying to those disciples, the same power and authority has been given to you. And I don't think many times we think of ourselves as having all authority in heaven and on earth, do we? Especially on Monday morning in a chapel that we're kind of have to be here, right? We don't just wake up and go, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And yet that's the word Jesus says to his disciples. And then he says, go and make disciples. So this is the place I want us to focus in most this week. What does it mean to make disciples? Really, what does it mean to make disciples? How many of you all are in the process of making disciples in your life? How many of you are pouring in to other people 
that you want to reach with the gospel and bring them up in the Lord. I was listening to a small clip by David Platt. Anybody ever heard of David Platt? Anybody? No? Some? Small shake of the head. But he's one of the key leaders in the Southern Baptist movement. And he was just talking about how we come to Christ as we, we've believed in this kind of mythic, if we say this magic prayer, how many of you have ever heard this prayer? To invite Jesus into your heart, pray this prayer with me. Father, forgive me of my sins. I want to invite Jesus into my heart. And that becomes kind of the magic phrase that we use to become a believer, right? Just agree with me. Shake your head like that. But in reality, what does that really mean just to say a prayer like that? And Jesus was about making disciples. And when he chose those disciples, they weren't believers, were they? Peter was not a believer. James was not a believer. Matthew was not a believer. They were just ordinary people. And Jesus spent three years pouring into their lives. And he says, go and make disciples of all nations. Well, I think what that passage is really saying, if I could translate it for us today, it's going and making friends. Do you understand? Just making friends. And, and I don't know about you, but we've kind of gotten hung up in our Christian belief that we, we live in these sort of isolated, elevated places where we're higher than, than, than people that are pagan. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like we don't really hang out with pagans much. And I think what God and what Jesus is saying to us, when we talk about walking in love and we talk about loving our neighbor, it's, it's learning to engage with lost people. And that would be one of the things that I would encourage you to do, to, to be a person that's going to reach lost people, to not be afraid to reach lost people. But one of the things that I believe, if, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 22, beginning at verse 37. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That when it comes to, to, to really believing God for who he is, he tells us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love, the, love our neighbor as ourself. And you know, as I've traveled literally all over the world, I've had the privilege of being in 54 different countries to share the gospel. I've been in 20 different African countries. And I share this story over and over again. Jesus' greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And I think we lose the emphasis of what Jesus said in that last little segment. What does it say? Love your neighbor as yourself. Can you say that? As yourself. And when I look at us as, as believers, and I look at us as, as people who are in our own world, I think one of the most difficult things we have is loving ourselves. Amen? I think many of us have been wounded from childhood, from situations, from struggles. I don't know you. I don't know your situation. But many people all over the world, they struggle with this idea of loving themselves. 
You know, any of you have a nickname when you were growing up? Yes? Somebody made fun of you about something? My nickname was Hairless Wonder. It's not a good nickname when you're a teenage boy because I didn't go through puberty until I was coming into college. And so that was my nickname. And so I had this insecurity about myself. And I didn't really feel like I could love myself. And in growing up in the midst of my broken home, I really couldn't love myself. Well, well, men and women, I believe that God wants to say to you today, love yourself, forgive yourself. Don't allow the noise of what happened in your childhood or even your adulthood right now to rob you of what Jesus is saying to us today, love yourself. And in order for us to love ourselves, we have to forgive ourselves. We have to allow him to, to cleanse us and to forgive us. And just like it said in Isaiah, when that angel touched Isaiah's lips, he said, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. That's part of loving yourself, knowing that your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. God wants to do that in you and through you. And God wants to use you, first of all, to love yourself. And when you can begin to truly love yourself, then you can love your neighbor, whoever it is. You can love your neighbor. You know, when I was growing up, I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, Marietta, and I grew up in, in, a, in a multicultural high school. It was a public high school. And the struggles that we've dealt with in the, the racial tensions that go on were, were real back in 1970s as they were. And, and when I was an eighth grader, I was sitting in my seat in science class, and there was a, a, a black American young lady sitting behind me, and we were in geometry, and she was using her compass, and just out of the blue, she took the little sharp point, you know, on a compass, and just stabbed me in the back. Not like, I want to kill you, just anger inside of her. And, and I, we both got sent to the office, and I was just like, I don't, I don't know why you did that. And then when I was a sophomore in high school, I'm standing in the cafeteria line, and I'm waiting to get my hot plate of food, and two African-American young ladies get in front of me and break in front of the queue. And I'm upset about that, and I walk in front, and then I, I, I get my plate of food, and as I grab it, the two girls take the plate and throw it in my face. So the racial tension of what I experienced just because I was white was real. And after it happened, the cafeteria exploded saying, hit her, Mosley, hit her. But I came to her afterwards, and this is what I want to say to us, men and women, in the midst of this racial tension. I came to that young lady when I was a teenager, a sophomore, and I said to her, I am sorry for what my race has caused you to feel. Do you understand? You're, those of you who are Afri African American, you understand what it really feels like, the racial tension as an African American, as we as Caucasians don't really understand what that feels like. My son is a biracial African American young man, so I've walked with him as he lived in Africa and as he grew up in America, he went to the same high school I went to, and he knows the real racial tension that goes on. When people call him racial slurs just for him driving his car, when police officers pull him over for no other reason than the color of his skin, for not even breaking a law. So what does it mean for us to love our neighbor? 
Well, I would say, first of all, we have to love ourselves. And second of all, we have to reach out in a supernatural way to be a bridge builder, to be racial reconcilers. And God wants to do that in us, and He wants to use you to be racial reconcilers. Amen? Can you guys say amen? So, as Jesus is talking to these disciples and He's saying, go and make disciples of all nations, I would say to us, men and women, God wants to use you to make friends with lost people. You know, I was doing a, a study in England while I was in Ghana. I did research in Oxford and at London School of Oriental and African Studies. And every day, I would get on the train or the tube or the, the, the metro, the bus, and I would go to my little university and I would do my research down in the archives. And I, I asked God every day, give me somebody that I can share good news with somebody every day. And this one particular day, I'm on the bus and I'm on a double-decker bus and I'm sitting there and I'm trying to be culturally relevant. I've got, you know, the Doc Martin shoes on. I got my black leather jacket. I got my earbuds in and I'm acting like I'm, you know, British. And I'm just sitting there and the lady sitting across from me is reading a book and the book is about how to get in touch with your spirit guide. And I'm thinking, well, this would be the person that I want to speak to. And as I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous, and I, there's a lot of people and a lot of British children going to school, and, and I'm feeling like God wants me to reach out to this lady, and yet we drive on the bus for about 20 minutes, and finally we get to our bus stop. Everybody gets up and walks away, and I, I lose the opportunity. I didn't I didn't even begin to begin a friendship or a relationship with that person. And I got on my, my train and I went into Victoria Station and I got on the tube and I went to my school and I took my archive notes and I remember writing in my journal, God forgive me for not reaching out to this lady as she's reading about a spirit guide. So I studied for about five or six hours there in, in London and then I got back on the train and I went back to my little coffee shop in my little village right before I take the bus back to my home. And it's about seven o'clock in the night and I go to my bus station and as I walk to my bus station, nobody else is at the bus station except guess who? The lady with the spirit guidebook. And I get on the bus with her and I sit down, not creepily next to her, but I sat down and I said, excuse me, you don't know me, but we rode in on the bus together today, and I just want you to know God has placed you on my heart all day long, and I saw you were reading about a spirit guide, and I want to tell you that I follow a spirit guide called the Holy Spirit, and, and He's made all the difference in my life. And I just wanted to share with you that He can do that in your life as well. And then I asked her what her name was and where she's from, and I just became her friend. I didn't say, uh, excuse me, ma'am, are you a believer? Do you, are you going to turn or burn? Are you gonna, do you know if you were to die right now, you'd go to hell? Does that work on anybody? <laughs> no, it doesn't. And I just tried to reach out to her in love. I wanted to walk in love as it says for us to do that in Ephesians. I wanted to be salt and light. I wanted to reach out to that lost person who's reading about a spirit guide and say, I want to be your friend first. Do you know men and women that lost people don't care whether you know Jesus or not. You know that, right? They don't care. 
what they really care about is, do you care about them as a human being? Do you care about them for the struggles that they're going through? And I believe that God would call us to be that salt and light in a lost world. First, to love yourself, and secondly, to begin to be friends with lost people. God wants to use you to change the world. He may not be calling you to be some great evangelist or to be a missionary. He's just calling you to be you, to love yourself and to love others. It's that simple. And out of that love, you can begin to make disciples in the world. And I believe as you do that, God's going to use you to change the world. He truly is. I got one last story and then we'll be done. I was just recently in northern Kenya, and God's called me in this organization that I'm a part of called Catalyst for Africa, where we say together we're changing the world in Jesus' name, one relationship at a time. I believe that the real significance that happens in our life is not from sermons that we hear or from seminars that we go to or even from classes that you may attend, right? But what really transforms us are the relationships that we have with people. Just as I reflect on my time at Asbury, I learned a lot of things. I sat under Paul Vincent in English literature. I studied so many things. But the, the things that I remember more than any other thing was the relationships that I had with my professors and with my college friends. Even this morning, I was on the phone with two of my college friends that I attended with at Asbury 40 years ago. And we call each other every Monday morning and we pray for each other and we hold each other accountable. God wants to use you, men and women, to change the world. So as I'm up in northern Kenya, I'm sharing about what it means to be in relationship with each other. And, and God is speaking to me about saying to these people in northern Kenya that are some of the poorest people that I've ever been a part of. And I said to them, God wants to use you to change the world. And I said to this group of people, there were about 20 of them in this room, and every single one of them, the clothing they had was used clothing. The shoes that they had were used shoes, most of them worn out. And I said, God wants to use you to change the world. And one of my challenges to them was that they would begin to invest and support people in ministry, even white people. And after I got done speaking, this lady who's a pastor walked up to me and handed me a 200 Kenya shilling note. Now, you may or may not know 200 shillings is worth about $1.87. But for her, it was the widow's might. For her, it was everything that she had, and she came up and she just put it in my hand and said, here, I want to invest in your ministry. Men and women, it rocked me to the core of my being. She gave everything she had in that moment for the sake of the ministry. Well, I want to ask you this morning, one, do you love yourself? Secondly, are you willing to love others? supernaturally? Are you willing to be a bridge builder, to be a racial reconciler? Are you willing to love those who are unlovely? Are you willing to love those who are not like us, that are different? I want to spend my life reaching out to people who are different than I am so that I can share with them not how to get converted, 
but that God loves them and has a purpose and plan for their life and that they are people of worth. Amen?